You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. As most of you already know, we're working for Hebrews at the moment. We've managed to cover the first two chapters in three sessions so far, so we're, we're slowly getting through it, um, but it's hard because there's so much in Hebrews, so... Can I encourage you to keep reading through these chapters as we've, we've looked at the first two chapters, but there's, there's so much more in those than what we've really got time to uncover. So really explore, really look up. Um, as you already know from the first two chapters, the, the author of Hebrews loves to use the Old Testament references to, um, to build his points and to, to grow our understanding in Christ. And he really is able to knit the Old Testament to the New Testament with high, shows us how relevant the Old Testament actually is and how they go hand in hand together. So as we go through Hebrews, um, I continue to continue to read from, continue to look up those Old Testament references and continue um, to, yeah, seek Christ in the Old Testament. As we continue to go through Hebrews, um, the author continues to use those Old Testament, um, Old Testament references to prove points, to help us see Christ in the Old Testament and to help us with our understanding of Hebrews. So we're going to jump straight into it. So we're up to Hebrews chapter 3, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. So if you're following along with your Bibles, if you want to go there, and it says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, and much more glory as a builder of the house, has much more honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house, as a servant to testify to things that were spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing the wilderness. But your father put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one, one another every day, as long as is called today, that none of you may harden by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. As it said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was it provoked for 40 years? Was it? not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So we see in chapter three, chapter three, there are two main parts of the chapter. The split from verse 1 to 6 is proving that Christ is superior to Moses. And then we come to verse 7 to 18, it comes to a few warnings about falling away from faith. And what happens when it does. So to start off with, like normal, we're going to look at the first part. So verse 1 to 6. 
as we've seen in the past two chapters, the author of Hebrews is building a case that Christ is far superior to the ways of old, has been using the Old Testament to prove this. But not only that, he's been using the Old Testament to show Christ in the ways of old at the same time. The first part of chapter 3 is no different. So far we've covered in the past two chapters that Christ is superior to the, uh, the law of old, is superior to angels, and now we come to that Christ is superior to Moses. You might be wondering why Moses? It might look like a bit of a step back from the angels. I mean, um, why is the author using Moses as a third step that Christ is superior to? After all, isn't he just human, right? But there's a reason behind this, and we need to know a bit about the Jewish ways to understand that that uh, why Moses is the next step up from angels and not a step down. For a Jew, Moses was seen to be higher than an angel as he was one that spoke to God directly. He was a man who had spoken to God like a man speaks with his friend. He was unique for Jewish people as Moses had directly received the Ten Commandments, the very law of God. And the greatest thing for a Jew is the law the law of God, and the fact that God had directly given Moses the law, then then for a Jewish person, Moses and the law went hand in hand. In the second century, a Jewish rabbi spoke about verse 5 in Hebrews. He spoke to how God had directly said that Moses was faithful in all his house and said that God had declared this. This ranked him higher than angels for Jewish people. All over... um, Now, once again, in Hebrews, in verse 5, the author quotes from the Old Testament. This statement from God that Moses is faithful in all his house comes from Numbers 12, 6 to 8. What says, And the Lord came down in a pillar and cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. Both came forward and he he said, Hear my words. There is a prophet among you. I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And behold, the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So some context about this chapter. It's Miriam and Aaron oppose Moses and God himself comes down and says that he only makes himself known to prophets through visions and speaks through dreams. But he singles Moses out. He says, he's one that I speak to face to face with Moses. He is faithful for all his house, and this is the reference we see in verse 5 of Hebrews. We see here that Jewish people are getting their reason for Moses being superior to angels and prophets, but it's important to understand the direction that the author is taking here. And the people, and the people he was writing to being the third step of the supremacy of Christ. For us, this might be no, a no-brainer. Of course, Christ is greater than Moses, we might think. But just to prove that he was greater than angels and the prophets are old. But in the eyes of the Jewish people, Moses was greater than the angels. He was greater than the prophets. He was a guy who received the law from God himself and talked to him face to face. Not in riddles. It was impossible for them to conceive that anyone could be closer to God than Moses himself. They had to put Moses, they had put Moses on a pedestal as one who receives the law and was on a personal relationship with God. Moses was their guy. Just like if you talk to most Aussies who have a sporting team, each of those teams has their guy, their main bloke, the guy that's far superior than all the other guys. So the Jewish people, Moses was their guy. He interceded for them. He interceded for, God, uh, for them to God. He brought the ways of God to them. 
the people Moses was an apostle and a high priest to the people of Israel. The Jewish people saw Moses as the way to God and the way that God communicated to them. As we'll see, Christ became a more perfect way to that way. So now in the context, we understand why Moses is the next step for the author to prove the supremacy of Christ. As the Jewish people believed that there was no one closer to God than Moses, not even an angel. But brings us to verse 1 in Hebrews 3, it says, Therefore, holy brothers, you share in a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So straight away, we see the first part of the argument that Christ is greater than Moses. He states, consider Christ as an apostle and a high priest. And the Jewish people already believed that Moses had fulfilled those roles. Moses didn't do this perfectly, but he did do it to an act. So it's a bit of a challenge from the author to say here. So you can imagine what some people might, might think. The author's only said consider. And knowing our generation, someone says consider something that can normally be blown off pretty quickly. You might go, yeah, I'll consider it. And then five seconds later, get caught up and not even think about it again. So it can be seen as not much as a challenge. But the author has said consider might be a strange word as consider is not highly regarded in our culture. But to fully understand what the author means here by consider Christ, we need to go back to the Greek and how it's originally written. The Greek word that is used in this passage for consider, in this case, the original writings, once again, you're going to have to pardon my Greek, but the word is kitin, which means to perceive, understand fully, or consider closely. The author here is not just saying for us to consider Christ, but he's calling us to fully understand, not just breeze over something in light consideration, but to really study it. We all know how easy it is just to breeze over something and miss the point and just keep going on with our day. Trust me, I do it a thousand times a day. When someone says, consider this, and instantly we get busy on the next thing and forget about it completely. But the author of Hebrews is really saying here, not just to consider it, but to fully bring our attention to it. We need to fix our attention in, in a, on such a way that we need to learn the lesson that is designed to teach us. Not just lightly consider, but study and fully understand. The same Greek word appears in Luke 12, 24. What says, consider the ravens, they neither sow or reap. They have neither storehouse or barns, yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than birds? <clears throat> so we hear Jesus talking about the word consider. And again, as we know, it's the Greek word katin. In the Greek where Jesus is saying, consider the ravens, he's not just saying have a quick look and think, man, they're going to be the worst bird ever. They're, they're not great. But what he's really saying is look at the ravens, understand and learn. Learn the lesson that God is teaching you through this. Study them and not just take a quick glance by. The author of Hebrews is telling us to study the word, study Christ, not just simply glance over the word, of God, it's not enough to understand. We need to be looking at the word and at Christ and studying each word to understand the lesson that Christ is teaching us in. The author of Hebrews is not, uh, the author of Hebrews in telling us to consider Christ, we need to be consciously looking and seeking him through the word and all that he's done, not just a simple glance over the word. We'll never grow and never understand if we're just considering and simply glancing. And this, and this comes in consideration with the first part of the verse of chapter 3. The author addresses a letter to you who share in a heavenly calling, which, is, which as Christians, 
where, where you have that calling, but it's a double direction. It's a calling to heaven and it's a calling from heaven at the same time. It's a voice that comes from God and calls us to God. We are drawn back to heaven as Christians, but it is also an earthly calling to represent him. This call over our lives as Christians is, is one that demands full attention because of the origin and the destination. We can't afford to give a disinterested glance at the invitation um, that is to God and from God. That's the first part of the verse. We need, we need our full attention on Christ. And when we do that, we see Christ as apostle and a high priest. Now we see Christ is given two positions at the end of verse 1. That is apostle and high priest. As we saw before, Moses also slightly acted in these roles. But the author strictly only calls Christ an apostle and the high priest. Now we have all heard about apostles and it seems and it seems like the author of Hebrews has brought Christ into that picture, but nowhere else in the New Testament can you find anyone that calls Jesus an apostle. But in Hebrews the author only uses this word apostle for Christ. He does not say that anyone else is an apostle. In this writing, he keeps the words solely for Christ and to describe Christ. The word apostle comes from the Greek word apollos, what, mean, what just means the one who sent forth. Once again, we can gain more understanding from, from the Jewish way of back then. They often use this word to describe envoys from Seredin, the Supreme Court of the Jews. These envoys were clothed with authority and bearers of commands from the court and what the Greek, and what the Greek world would know as an ambassador. So the author of Hebrews is saying here that Christ is the supreme ambassador of God, which we gain some insight over this. Over this means firstly Jesus came from God, and all God's power was with Christ, as He was an apostle sent from God, just as an ambassador of the court had full power of court behind Him. And secondly, the ambassador was the voice of the supreme court. Back in the times of the Jews, Christ came with the voice of God, and through Christ, God speaks. So through the description, Christ is the supreme apostle that has been sent forth. God and is God's voice wherever he goes. Then we also see another description of Christ. He is as the high priest. And as we go through Hebrews, the author loves to describe Jesus as the high priest of all. He loves the idea that Christ is the high priest. In the Latin word, uh, priest is pontifex. This means bridge builder. So the job of the high priest is to build a bridge between man and God, what makes Christ the perfect high priest. And through his death and resurrection, he has defeated the sin and created a way back to the Father for us, for those who put trust in Christ. The high priest role had to be a godly appointed one. They must be able to, they must be able to know man and God. They must be able to speak to God for men and to speak to men from God. This means that Christ is the perfect high priest as he is perfectly man and perfectly God. Jesus is the one person that came to God and God comes to man. As Christ came and died, he perfectly completed the role as an apostle, as one who's sent by God. And he perfectly completed the role of high priest by taking our sins and dying the death that we deserve. Taking God's wrath on himself, he made a perfect sacrifice for our sins, in turn creating a way back to God for us. But we also can see from reading the Old Testament that Moses acted as an apostle and a high priest. In fact, he was the only Old Testament figure to do both of these functions. And in doing this, he pointed 
pointed forward to Jesus, whom we proclaim as an apostle and high priest of our confessions. As Daniel preached last week, there are so many things in the Old Testament pointing to Christ, and Moses is one of those figures, an imperfect representation of what was made perfect through Christ. What brings us to the rest of Hebrews 3, 1 to 6, what says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle, high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. But Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, and much more glory as the builder of the house, as has more honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of God, builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant to testify to these things that were spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast in confidence and the boasting in our hope. So the previous chapter of Hebrews, we see Christ is established as superior to the ways of old and the angels. And now we see the case for his supremacy over Moses. We see in this verse that the comparison starts between Moses and Jesus And in the verse, the author comes to the conclusion that they both hold the greatest accolade that they are given, and that is they were faithful. And in verse 3, we're told that Jesus is superior to Moses. As it says, Jesus counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And we see in the next couple of verses, the imagery of a builder of the house has much more honour than the house itself. And if we look into that, we see that Moses was a faithful servant in the house. The Lord of the Lord, but Jesus is the Son and the heir who builds the house for God's, uh, the house of God. Christ is the builder, what means that there is no competition between Moses and Christ. That's not the reason that Christ is greater than Moses. It's because Christ, it's not because Christ was a better guy than Moses. That's not what the author is saying, but it's because Moses was a servant whose labor was part of Christ's ultimate work. And that's what the author is getting at. Christ is the builder of God's house, where Moses is part of the household. Like Hebrews says, there is more honour for the builder of the house than the house itself. Christ has built the house. He is the son and the heir of the house, where Moses is a servant in the house. In terms, Christ created Moses, and Moses serves the builder of the house. That is why Christ, that is why Christ the author has written, Christ has been counted with more glory than Moses. Christ is the builder of builder and all Moses' work and ministry was serving the builder, ultimately pointing to Christ, not for the glory not for Moses' glory, but pointing for a more perfect and greater salvation to come. Moses was working for Christ. And that's what sets Christ and Moses apart. Moses was pointing to the creator and the builder, Christ himself. We see in verse five where it says that Moses was a prophet. He testified of things that, that were spoken later in the time of Christ. So it brings us to some of the conflict, brings us to think of some of the conflicts that the Pharisees had with Jesus. They accused him of violating the Sabbath. If you look for the gospel, it's multiple occasions of this. They accused Christ of violating the law of Moses. As we have just seen in Hebrews, Christ is superior to Moses, as Moses is working towards Christ's ministry. That means that through, though Moses gave the law, he's working for Christ. What makes the law? Jesus' Jesus' law in turn means that Christ is the fulfilment of the law and the true teacher of the law. Matt 5, 17, 18. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. 
I've not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a dot or a dot will pass from the law until it's accomplished. Jesus pointed out Moses pointed out that Moses had foretold his ministry and uh, directed people to trust in him. John five forty five forty six. Do not think that I will, that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. All Moses did and all he spoke were of things to come that were made perfect through Christ and Christ alone. Moses was a servant who worked worked further further the house-building project of God's Son and everything of the Mosaic time pointed forward towards Christ. For example, the tabernacle spoke of God dwelling with us, what happened through Christ. The year of Jubilee spoke of the deliverance that was to come through Christ. The sacrifice of the lambs and bulls and goats spoke of the great atoning work done by Christ on the cross. In fact, all Hebrew, all three Hebrews, we discover that the way of old were leading into Christ. That would complete perfectly, as you wrote in Hebrews 10.1. For since the law has but shadowed of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never be the same. Sacrifices that continually offered every year made perfect those who draw near. And as Ian brought up last week as well, the manna of heaven and the water from the rock, also the times of Moses, was leading the people but pointing to Christ, as it's written in 1 Corinthians 10.4. And all drank of the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Moses presented Israel with pictures of the Messiah to come, shadows that were cast backwards into the Old Testament by the light of Christ and were fulfilled in his coming. Moses testified about Christ's coming. It's written in Deuteronomy 18.15. I won't read it, but if you'd like to look it up, it's, it's up to you. Moses' ministry was working and shadows of things to come that would perfectly comp- be perfectly complete through Christ. And the first five books of the Old Testament are written by Moses. The ultimate purpose of pointing to Jesus as a saviour of his people and a perfectly complete and act in the role as the ultimate apostle and high priest. Moses points to the things to come through Christ and pointing to Christ, he was, was Christ's servant, preparing the way for Christ. In this knowledge, the author of Hebrews proves the case of Christ being superior to Moses as Moses was a servant of Christ and, Christ, and for Christ's glory and, and plan. The verse shows that Moses was the faithful servant in God's house, that the Christ is the builder of the builder and Lord. Moses knew a bit about God, but ultimately Christ is God and acts at a far superior and is far superior as an apostle and high priest than Moses could ever be. We see another superiority that Christ has of Moses in verse five. It says now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to things that were spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as son. Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, where Moses was faithful as a servant. The difference being Christ as son is an heir of the house. He is the owner and the Lord over all things in the house. He provides for the house out of his wealth. Where, the, where a servant doesn't own anything in the house, they do, they do what they're told by the owner and receive provisions from the owner's wealth. So Christ is superior in the way of owning the house, providing for the house, and he rules over that house. 
that Moses is just a servant. He doesn't own it, he doesn't rule it, and he doesn't provide for it out of his own wealth. Verse 6 continues, And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast in our confidence and our boasting and in our hope. As Christ is the owner, ruler, and provider for the house, that being us as the church, we are his church, not just back in the Moses day, but now. He's the Lord and Saviour, he's the ruler, he's the provider, like my provider, and like Moses, we are the servants in the house. We don't bring anything to the house, but we receive all from the house owner. What is Christ? We see that we are encouraged that Christ is the head of the house and that the house is for us all who believe in him. Ultimately saying Christ is the head of the church. He was the head of Israel as Moses was a servant in the house, faithfully pointing towards Christ as Lord. We need, we need to be grounded in Christ and take hope and confidence in him. We need to have great hope in him as an owner, provider, and ruler of the house. As we can see, the author of Hebrews has built a great case that Christ is far superior than Moses. He addresses the situation to the church that there is no greater one than Christ, not even Moses, and that the new covenant is a far superior way to the ways of old. He encourages them, them and us to study and to know Christ and what Christ has, what Christ has done. Through that knowledge, we have hope and understanding that through Christ we are set free. We also see that through Christ being the ultimate apostle and high priest, he has come and made a way back to the Father. Through living his life, showing us the way, way back to the Father, then building a bridge as the high priest and mediator of our sins, he took God's wrath that we so justly deserve and took it on himself, that we might be set free from bondage and sin. And that... And that Christ is one and only to the Father. Those who believe in him can't be saved by the law or Moses, as Moses was a worker for Christ, and all he did was pointing to Christ, the perfect salvation that we have through him. Using the Old Testament once again, the author helps us to see Christ in the Old and the New. We can see all, all things of old are pointing to Christ in the new ways. So take encouragement and really read read the old with Christ-coloured glasses on and it would be amazing what you see. Um, I was sort of hoping to get through the rest of Chapter 3, but sort of running out a bit of time, so I might just leave it there for now and, um, yeah, end it there. So, Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that you are superior over all. We thank you that there's nothing that can hold us back from you if we solemnly believe in you, Jesus, and and we thank you that you died for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are our Lord, you are you're the Lord of our lives. You supply for us. You provide for us, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we do your will, Jesus. We pray that you continue to, to reveal the Old Testament and continue to help us to see you in that Old Testament, Lord, and continue to lead us in you. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.